Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 89, verses 1 through 5, 35 through 39, and 46 through 52. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts with which your enemies, Lord, have mocked, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Alexa. Thank you, Jeff, for leading. We appreciate it, and um, thank you all for being here today. Uh, as we already welcomed you, a special welcome for those who are new to our church, new to the city. There's a ton of new people here. That's why we uh, have been doing sort of a roll call for needing volunteers, because if you're new, <laughs> there's a lot of needs. There's a lot of people that are around that, that uh, um, move some of these things. There's a lot of folks that uh, are in our church are new, and that we need uh, folks to, to help out, but we want you to know that even though it's summertime and things kind of slow down around here and uh, it sometimes feels kind of difficult to get plugged in here, we are excited that you're, that you're here. We are uh, thankful that you, you're here and we want you to be able to plug in because this is a place for everyone. Now, today we are beginning a new series on the book of, the, of Psalms and we're going to look at this series all the way up to Labor Day. And we're going to do that because what we want to do this summer is we want to spend time thinking through, processing, how are we going to cultivate time with the Lord. And we want that because we want you all to be prepared to have a fearless life, to live a fearless life. The Psalms are about how to cultivate this fearless life because I believe that only if you can pray, only if that you can sit with him and draw near to him and come close to him, 
and experience him and behold him, not just intellectually know about him, not just intellectually know what he's done for you, not just have content in your head, but actually taste and see his goodness and loveliness and sit in his presence daily, hourly, repeatedly, only if you can do that, then can you really get through anything that life throws your way. I 100% believe that. And since that's true, you need the Psalms to get there. And so whether you're a Christian here or not, I really believe you're going to get a lot out of this because I think the Psalms don't just tell you what to think. They're working through feelings and emotions and dispositions about how to approach him. And so today's Psalm breaks down very nicely. Let's look at it in three parts. Let's look at God's faithfulness. Secondly, it doesn't seem like he's faithful. So then how can you really know that he is? So we're going to look at God's faithfulness. That's the topic. It doesn't seem like he's faithful. So then how can we know that he really is? So first, God's faithfulness. Look at our psalm. Look at verse 1. Right off the bat, the psalmist says, hey, this is a song about God's faithfulness. And in verse, this is in, in about God's love. Then he declares it again in verse 2. The psalmist says, love and faithfulness again. And then skip down to verse 5. And what happens? It says the heavens are declaring what? God's faithfulness again. And so, micro recap, what's the psalmist saying? God is faithful. And the minute I say that to New Yorkers, you know what you all do? I can see it in your eyes. You're like, who cares? (laughs) So what? God's faithfulness as an attribute is probably one of the least appreciated attributes today. It's one of the ones that if you say to people, God's faithful, people go, Okay, thanks, that's nice. Now you start talking about God's power, people are like, yes, I want God's power because then I can do something with it. Or, you know, pick any other attribute, but you say God's faithful, people are like, all right, sounds good. Eh, I'm not so sure. That's why I think, by the way, sometimes at uh, LSQ we sing, you know, great is thy faithfulness, but there's a lot of folks who just don't connect with that And we're not going to connect with it if we don't see why God's faithfulness actually matters. But I think we should, and so I think we need to look at the text and tell us why we should. So here's why. First, let's look at the translation. The Hebrew translation for the word faithfulness, some other words you could put in there, it means trustworthiness. It means steadfastness. It means you're not going to change. In our text, God's faithfulness is always connected to God's love. If you look over and over and over again, somewhere in the vicinity of faithfulness is God's love. Which, by the way, shouldn't be too surprising because if you go through all scripture, generally speaking, when when somebody's talking about God's faithfulness, God's love is connected. So look at uh, Proverbs 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know that the Lord your God is what? He's faithful in keeping his covenant of love. And over and over and over again it says this. So why does that matter? It matters because if God is faithful, if in the Bible he's faithful, it means then he's trustworthy. If he's trustworthy, it means you can put your trust in him. Let that sit for a second. You can actually trust him. That you can depend on him. Malachi 3.6, the Lord speaks there. It says this, For I, the Lord, do not change... Therefore, you're not consumed. 
I think, I think that's actually, in a nutshell, why this matters, because you might not think God's faithfulness matters, but Malachi is saying it's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between being consumed and not being consumed. Because an unchanging God means he's faithful, and if he's faithful, then he's trustworthy, and if he's trustworthy, then it means despite what you think, despite what you think you see with your eyes in your reality with how your life is going right now, if he's faithful, then he loves you. And if he loves you, then you can depend on him. That you can actually trust him. So let's, let's just apply this to our lives. Who then in this world, if, if, you, if, if, if there's, okay, God's faithful. So, well, go into your life experience. Who's been faithful in your life? And I mean at all times, not just faithful here and there. But who in your life has always been faithful all the time? I would actually make the argument, not many. Friends flake out, do they not? Spouses don't add up all the time. Uh, um, Most leave at some point. I've grown up in this town, and there is so much transition. The reason why there's so many of you who are new is there are so many people who used to be here who've left. And then those who have stayed, there's new, the folks that you used to hang out with, they're not there anymore. And so there's constantly this space of change going on here. I'll tell you what's more lonely than, than being lonely. It's living in a town with millions of people that you don't feel like you fully really know. That's loneliness. That's people who you don't feel like I, I can actually, that are going to stay, that are always going to be there. There's a... Um, new survey that was published by the Survey Center of American Life. And they're asking people who, uh, they, how many people are close friends in your life? And they've been doing this for decades, by the way. They did this back in, the 19, in 1990 as well. And what they found is today only 15%, 15% of men say they have zero close friends. 10% of women say they have zero close friends. Which, and then like another 10 or 20% say one, and then a couple more say two. But generally speaking, compared to 1990, it's plummeted who we feel like we can trust, who we feel like we can actually say, I can rely on them. They are trustworthy, which means we're living in an e- another type of epidemic. We're living in an epidemic of unfaithfulness, of untrustworthiness, of people that we don't feel like we can count on. Now, that's sad that we can't trust people, but let's turn the microscope on ourselves. How faithful are we? How much can we trust ourselves? I don't know if we can all the time. Personally, for myself, I, when I know about the promises that I haven't kept, when I know about the, the things that I've identified, I want to be a fit person. I'm going to be a fit person today until that brownie shows up, and now I'm not a fit person anymore. I've changed. The very thing I thought I identified with that I was going to work on, now I'm not going to work on anymore. Bart Ehrman a uh, pretty famous uh, religious studies professor at the University of North Carolina. He did these huge plenary um, introduction to religious studies sessions, and he used to always begin by uh, doing a survey. He would say to everybody in these, like, hundreds of, of, of students' um, uh, uh, classes, he would say, who of you believe that the Bible is God's word, that it, it is, um, at, you know, it's the, it's the inspired word of God? And this is, you know, North Carolina, and this is America, so most people rose the, raised their hand. They said, yeah, I believe that. And then he would ask the next question. He would say, how many of you have read all seven books of Harry Potter? How many of you have read all seven books? And most people would raise their hands again. And then he would say, 
Well, how many of you have actually read the entire Bible from cover to cover? Not many people raised their hand. So he goes, well, he goes, hold on. You said this book over here is the inspired word of God, but you've actually read all of Harry Potter, but not all of the inspired word of God. So who's actually, what, what, what do you really believe? And he, what he pointed out is the inconsistency in Christians. He pointed out the unfaithfulness of, of, of Christians, and that's just one of many. That sometimes, when we really kind of put the microscope on ourselves, there's a lack of faithfulness on our part as well. So let's compare that to God now. The psalmist says, what does he say? He says, it's not enough just to know God's love, right? Everybody talks about God's love. Well, but how? How is God's love? And the Bible says faithfulness. Love is commitment, but the ramifications and the application of that is faithfulness. That, and what is that? He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never let you go. He'll never let you down. He'll never push you out. And I believe what I've been trying to, what we're, we're going to set the stage for our sermon series is we need to start with this and pound this into our life every day lest we walk out into this world and we think God is just like everybody else. See, here's the problem. Your lived experiences, both for yourself and then for others, is unfaithfulness. So you're going to assume, well, God is too, that he's inconsistent, that he's unreliable, that he's fickle, that he doesn't come through when you want him to or when you need him to. But if he's faithful, then that means he's trustworthy, which means the promises he says in the Bible are actually going to work out. That the things that he says I'm going to do, he's actually going to do. Which means he's honest, which means he's the father figure who actually doesn't leave you. He's the friend who doesn't forsake you. It's the one who stays. And it means what he says in the past will actually happen in the future through his promises. And so before we move on, here's the question I want to ask you before we go on. Do you wake up every day thinking about singing like the psalmist about his faithfulness? Do you? And if so, why not? And if you don't, what lie have you told yourself, what lie have you bought into that you think is going to be more faithful to you than him? Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, you still have questions to ask yourself. What do you think will be more faithful to you than him? And will, it, will, will that thing really be more committed to you than that he would be? Because if you are a Christian, go back to if you're, if you're a Christian, do you live out what you say you believe? Are you consistent about this? You say he's faithful, but do you live your life every day on his faithfulness? Do you experience it? Like the psalmist, how, how are you declaring that his love stands firm forever? How are you letting his faithfulness take root in your heart, to, your heart today? When I was asking those questions, I was like, oh, I, I don't, I don't. But why? At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. 
First point, why? And I'll, I, Well, second point, the reason why is because it doesn't feel like he's faithful. I'm, I'm going to tell you what the answer, why you don't. It's because you already don't feel like he's faithful. The verses that we skipped over, just by the way, if you, if you want to go back and read them, a lot of it is more about his faithfulness in heaven, on earth, in justice, in his in name. There's a long talk about David as God's anointed, that, he, that David is going to fulfill God's promise to establish his kingdom forever. That was a promise God made. And so the psalmist is recounting that. So if you go look down in verse 34, he says, he quotes God. He said, God, you said this. You said, I will not violate my covenant or alter my lips. David and his line will continue forever. What's happening there basically is this. He, the psalmist is saying, God, I know you're faithful. I just sung about it. But when I look at the line of David... When I look at the promise you've made, establishing his, your, his kingdom, I don't see it. It's not happening. You said that he would reign forever, but look at verse 38. Going on through all time, the psalmist then starts accusing God. And I didn't print them all, but there are at least 12 accusations against God where the psalmist starts using the word you. So you can almost kind of imagine somebody, when, you, when somebody ever accused somebody, say, you were unfaithful. You didn't show up. You, I'll hear the words he uses. You reject, and you've spurned, and you were renounced, and you did this. So the psalmist says, I know you're faithful, but then he says, but, but where is that faithfulness? I don't see that faithfulness. And that's his problem, but I actually think it's our problem too. Because zoom, zoom out for a second. What the, what the psalmist intellectually knows is that God's faithful. God is faithful. But then he's looking at the evidence of his life. He's looking around and saying, I don't see it. Because at this time in Israel's uh, history, the, the, the king who was in the line of David had been taken away into exile. And there was no hope. There was no, there was no coming back from that. That there was not going to be on the throne, the physical throne, a king in the line of David. And so he says in verse 46, it, it kind of hits its climax, verse 46, how long, Lord? How long? It's a great rhetorical question. Because I believe everybody in this room, at some point in your life, maybe you've already done this or you will do this, you're going to say, how long? How can you keep this up? How, can it, how long are you going to allow rejection, your plans to be thwarted, to your, your, your favor not to come about, right? It, that's, that's what it seems like. And so we can make a list of the disappointments we've had in our life. There's been marriage disappointments. I, I'm, I'm, I'm still single, or if you're married, this, this, this relationship isn't doing it for me. Marriage disappointments. Uh, relational disappointments. Friendship disappointments. How long, Lord, am I going to still be misunderstood? How long am I going to be treated this way? How long am I going to, uh, uh, you know, be lonely? Maybe you're the one with that, with that zero close friendship. Or maybe you only have one or two. There's career disappointments. How long am I going to be overlooked for that promotion? Again, how long am I going to slave away at this desk for what? Two weeks of a vacation and a 401k later on when I can't actually use it. Right? How long? It goes on and on and on. Maybe it's not career, friendship, or relationship. Maybe you've been abused yourself. Maybe somebody has broken trust in your life. You've been taken advantage of. And when, you, when that's happened, when abuse has happened to you, it changes your physiological ability to interact with this world. Everyone and everything is untrustworthy. Right? How can you imagine 
faithfulness and, and trustworthiness when every bone in your body says you can't trust, you can't rest, not just with other people, but God himself. And so now every command in the Bible that says believe or listen or forgive or love, it just feels like an abuser telling us what to do again. And so that, this is that how long. Because the, this, this, by the way, this list I just gave you is not a definitive list. There's probably versions in your head of, of that how longness. But it feels like at some level, this is what it feels like. God got it wrong. God didn't come through. And you're doing that at some level. You have done that. You will do that. And the psalmist is as well. I think that is the question we have to ask. That, that this is why we question God's faithfulness. Because the faithfulness of God doesn't feel like it's real because we, our lived experiences, we don't have people like that. And so like the psalmist, you might even intellectually know he's faithful. You can even, you know, this man just sung these verses just a few verses before, and at the same time, not experience it, not feel it, not know it. That's the problem. So last point. Then how can we really know? How can we not just know in our head, but know in our hearts? If, if Malachi is right, and this is a life and death situation to know his faithfulness in your life, how can you actually know this? And I, I, this is probably where I should tell you, this psalm is really long. I, I, I only took out snippets, but I read this months ago, and I just started weeping. I just, I, I, I just couldn't stop. It, was, it started ministering to me as I read it over and over and over again. And so I want to I walk through how, what it did for me, because I think it, it can actually help us how to really know. Here, here they are. Number one, how can you really know? One, the very presence of this psalm in, in our Bible helps us. Why? Because the psalmist, in this case, but all the psalms, they give us permission. So it allows us to know God's intellect, intellectually and then yet speak out our lived experiences so the floodgates can open up and allow us to not feel the same way. So for me, all of a sudden, all the resentment, all the you know, pent up frustrations about COVID and about how my life hasn't gone the way I wanted to go and how uh, it's not fair and the, the, the feeling like a victim, feeling like the disappointments, feeling like God hasn't been faithful to me, I was allowed to actually express that. But let me be really careful here. There's one of two errors that usually happens at this moment. A lot of people don't feel that way. So what you do is you bottle it in. Most people with, their emo- with this stuff, you say, no, I can't feel that. I, if I open that up, I, I'm never coming back. And so you do the kind of like Elsa, right? Conceal, don't feel. Kind of hold it in like this. And that's, that's very problematic. Now, the other problem that modern, the modern world is like, oh, definitely express. But it's more like a screaming into the void kind of expression, kind of a cathartic, like, ah, and you scream. But the problem with that is nothing actually has changed in your, in your life. You just, you expressed, but it doesn't, it doesn't do anything with it. The psalmist is different. It's not just mere expression. Right? It's not, it there's something that happens with the rage. The psalm does something different. It doesn't bottle it up. It doesn't just say scream it. He, it's, it. It's a process. You can almost see the progression that's happening in the text. Because it, 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 it kind of, behind the scenes is this concept that if God is this big, if he's big enough for us to be mad at, for our life not going the way it's supposed to go, then he actually might be big enough for 
him to have a reason for why our life is going this way without us actually knowing ourselves. Right? If God is all-powerful and all-loving, then it's, then it's possible that he can see things that you and I can't see about ourselves. Yeah. It's not just possible. It's probable. And so those, those are processing concepts of saying, well, basically then, if God's big enough that, to have reasons for why our, our life isn't going this way, then it's possible well, we can't know that. That's the, what the, very, the very presence of this psalm helps us take that truth and take our experiences and process that through that experience. That's the first thing. Now, secondly, though, I think the historical location of this psalm is important, too. Reading this psalm, you should be, it's kind of like somebody, we all know that how the story ends. The psalmist didn't. He wasn't about to see, at the time of his writing, how ultimately how God was going to be able to be faithful to him. He couldn't see that. He couldn't see the surpassing wonder and beauty and unfathomable deliverance and salvation that was coming through the line of David, but not in the way that he thought. See, what I, what I love about this psalm is it's so ironic because he's saying, you, 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 did, you didn't come through. And yet in that moment, that was exactly what God was doing is he was coming through for him, but not through the physical kingdom of David. See, he couldn't fathom a kingdom of God other than a physical king and a physical throne. And he was mad at God for not coming through, not knowing that beyond his wildest imagination, God was coming through with his plan of redemption through the occupation that was happening right then, through the exile of the kings. Through, fast forward centuries later, the Romans showed up, and they end up being the usurpers. They were the ones now ruling over Israel. And it was through Herod the king, and it was through Joseph, who became the adopted father of Jesus, who was actually of the line of David. It all happened. In other words, he couldn't see that God didn't just want a military salvation for him, that the psalmist was actually in the process of having a cosmic salvation. And so God wanted more for this psalmist than even the psalmist thought he needed or even wanted. And I think Jesus does that, just that for us. How? Go back into our text. He's saying, where's this firstborn? Jesus was the firstborn. Go to verse 48. It says, who can live and ultimately not experience death? Jesus, through the resurrection, ultimately defeats the power of of death and the grave. Jesus is the one who gathers the nations, as, as the psalmist is hoping for. He's the one where justice and righteousness and love and goodness is made manifest. And this man had no clue. But we do. We do know that. Because we're on this side of the cross. And so God did not fail to honor the covenant like he thought. But fulfilled, but fulfilled it better than he could have actually have, have even dreamed. It was a longer timeline than he thought. It was different than what he wanted, but it was better. And so let me ask you this. If we know that's actually happened through Jesus, then isn't it possible, is it possible for us to be able to apply that to our lives today? Let me try to be as practical as possible. Is it not possible? Can we not say, man, I thought God was supposed to be faithful to me in my sex life, in my marriage life, in my friendship life, in my career life, in my monetary life, in my apartment life, in my New York life. I thought he was supposed to be. But 
if he is always faithful, and it's not always on my timeline, and it's not always the way I thought I needed it, is it possible that he could actually still come through, not just what I think I need, but actually what I really need? Is that possible? And the answer is, yes. Yes, it is. And the question is, is will I trust? Will I be faithful to his, un- to his faithfulness that might not be fully apparent to us at this moment? I think that's what this psalm does for us. If we know that this psalmist didn't have the full picture then, and yet God came through, is it possible that we today don't have the full picture, and yet he is coming through for us even as we speak? Here's the problem. In the moment, no, you can't. If you look in the past of your life, you could probably trace the rainbow through the rain. You could probably trace how you got from here to there and say where, where he was involved in that process. And so the question is, yes, if it's possible, it's not just possible, it's probable. Because if God can take the worst possible situation in, the, in all of human history, the place where it looks like the most abandonment happened, Jesus on the cross, and he can turn that into victory, then he can take any cross of your life right now, any wound, any hurt, any misfortune, and he can bring good out of that as well. And guess what it's going to take? It's going to take faith. Again, translate faith. Faith just means trust. But why can you trust him? Because he's trustworthy. Why is he trustworthy? Where's the proof? In history, it's the cross. Because what happens on the cross, it's where the ultimate version where Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The second member of the Trinity in that moment couldn't understand or couldn't see how God was going to actually bring good out of this. And yet through it, it's the ultimate space where God wasn't unfaithful, but actually he was. So perhaps, just perhaps, you're tired today. It's been a pandemic. You're sad today. You don't know how much more you can go today. You're broken today. Perhaps when things aren't working out, maybe they actually are, and you just can't see it and you can't know it. Whatever you're experiencing right now, the cross shows us that if God can work out that for good, then he can work out the evil in your life right now too, even if you can't see it, even if you never will see it in your lifetime. Guess what? This psalmist, did he, ever, did he actually ever see it in his lifetime? No. But God did work it out, and it, it was more complex and more wonderful and more beautiful than he could ever imagine. And so to end this, I want to end. Don't forget what the original sin was. Go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. What happened there? Satan did not attack God's power. He did not attack God's ability. What did he attack? God's faithfulness. What did he say? He said, did God really say that's what's going to happen? Did he really say that? Is he, are you, can you really trust him? And so the first temptation, if everybody says what was the first temptation in the Bible, do not say it was the fruit. The first temptation was to tempt that God was not faithful about the fruit. And if that's true, is it possible that actually part of our lived experience is that we're still living out that original sin? That we don't think God's actually going to be faithful to us? That if that sin is in us, then it's possible that we're making things more important than God because we think those things are going to be more faithful to us than he will, but they can't. In other words, we believe the lie over the truth. And that's that's what's leading to all the breakdown. 
I really, this culture that you're in right now, there is, there is increasing distrust of each other. We can't, we don't believe they're actually good, whoever they are. That started because we don't believe he's good. And if he made creation, if he made people, well then, if he's not good, well then they're not going to be good either. That's where it all starts. But what if, what if our unfailing hope was not in our faithfulness, it wasn't even our ability to see his faithfulness, it was actually in his faithfulness, in his promises. And then we could sing and declare them because we know they, they happened and they're happening. This is why I try to regularly read the story of Joseph. Go to Genesis. If you haven't done it in a long time, go read Genesis. Uh, it's um, about Joseph. You have his family selling him into slavery. Not just anybody. It was his family. And then he rises up to, you know, this, next to the king. But then Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with him. So he says no. He gets thrown into jail again. So he has unjust relationships, unjust friendships, unrighteousness of the, of the system. He's injured by everyone and, and anyone, and yet he has the ability years later to look at his brothers, to look at his perpetrators, and somehow say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Can, can you not in your life say to your experiences, this was meant for evil, but God's going to mean it for good? Can you not do that in every single situation? I don't know how. I don't know why in the moment this is all happening, but I know that he's done that in the past. He's taken evil and turned into goodness. The ultimate version of that is on the cross. And so in my micro versions in my life, it's going to happen, and it will happen, and it is happening. God is going to be faithful for for our good. And so... you know what you need more than just, an, just a, you know what you think, you think you need to know why. Why is this happening? You know what you need more? You need somebody who's been through that happening first, in the cross. And then Jesus is not just going to give you answers. He's going to be the answer. And when he's the answer, that moves your heart. Here's what's going to happen, folks. The world's going to keep whispering in your ear. The world's going to say, hey, that person left you. You should leave them. But the cross is speaking back in your life. No, 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 no. In the moment when God could have left you, he didn't leave you. He stayed, and so now you can stay and not leave them. The world's going to say, hey, they were unfaithful. They were unfaithful to you. Be unfaithful back. But the cross is screaming back at us and saying, I was faithful to you when you were unfaithful. So now you can be faithful back to them even though they're unfaithful. That changes every practical application of how you lived your life in this world going forward. All you have to do is sit in that. Sit in God's faithfulness. So all of you, including me, who say, eh, faithfulness, now you realize, oh my goodness, this is the secret. This is the moment. And so just to be really practical, what you can do with this psalm, I encourage you, go, please read it. Because when you do, you can pray your disappointments like the psalmist did. You can realize that you can't see the whole. You can't see the whole. And then lastly, then you, if you know he can turn evil for good, he can, in Jesus' life, he can make it in your life too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to sit in your faithfulness. There's so many things distracting us. There's entertainment, and there's work, and there's responsibilities, and there's duties. And yet what the psalmist is saying is there is nothing more important than to sit and say, your love endures forever. That you are faithful from generation to generation. That the heavens declare it. Let 
that be the attribute of wonder and awe for me. Father, I, I, I confess I don't. I don't let it mean. And then the cares of this world and the way my life has gone or not gone the way I want it to, it creeps and it distorts and it pulls me down, Father. But I pray that we, we will see your faithfulness in the cosmos. That we would see that you, you have taken the ultimate story of evil and turn it for good so you can take our, our small stories and do the same thing. I pray that we'll do that here as LSQ. And if we did, the power, oh Lord, the power to move out in resurrection power would be profound. To love others, to care, to serve. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.